Welcome to Station Talk, the official podcast of the Firehouse Tribune, where we share fire service information, training tips, and help you become battle ready with health and wellness conversations. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Station Talk. We have a great episode today, Tom. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. This is going to be great. Absolutely. I can tell already. <laughs> we actually have a special guest today. We have Dave Mellon of Alifari Training On. So, Dave, welcome to Station Talk. Yeah, thanks, guys. I've been looking forward to this for a while now, and I'm just super excited to be here. And yeah, man, we're, we're really excited to have you here. It was um, Mutual Connection, Taylor Anderson, who introduced us to come on Station Talk. And um, we said instantly right away, we're going to reach out to you, see if you're interested, and uh, and go from there. I mean, we asked her on her episode of Station Talk, and we brought her on about Les Luker Conference and, and everything else. And unfortunately, I was supposed to be at the conference. I had to step out. And I said, do you have anybody you would recommend in your circle that you've had on and that's in this conference that would be on the show? And she said, 100%, no question, no hesitation, Dave Mellon, Ballard Fire Training. So I'm thinking right away, that's perfect. I follow him all over social media. I love what he says. Where she's going to say is no, let's ask him to come on the show and we'll sit here and we'll have a conversation. Yeah, for sure, man. Taylor, Taylor's good people. Taylor is awesome. Uh, she was uh, one of our students in one of our classes and I call her my dragon slayer. She's my dragon. slayer. <laughs> yeah. She, she talks highly of you. And uh, I think Tom, you, um, you actually broke the ice with getting Dave on, right? I think you reached out first. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, first. You had a whole bunch of stuff going on. I was like, oh, I'll just reach out to him. We're good. <laughs> yeah, it just worked out perfect. We had like a whole three-way connection going on here, talking all different ways, and got this today's going. So for those who don't know Dave, why don't you introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, so uh, my name is Dave Mellon. I've been in the fire service for a little over 20 years. Uh, I live in the Kansas City metro. I work as a career firefighter paramedic in a suburban department here in the metro. Uh, and then I volunteer a little bit further out west. So uh, been a paramedic for coming up on my 18th or, or 19th year. I stopped counting after like 10. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've always had a passion for, uh, being a firefighter. I told my parents when I was like four that I wanted to be a fireman and uh, I just never grew out of it. So I've been blessed that the last eight or nine years of my career, uh, have been filled with training. And, uh, we started Valor fire training as a way to kind of have that creative outlet uh, and go travel around with my hood rat friends and do hood rat stuff. And so it was good. You know, I mean, it's, uh, valor has been good for us and, uh, we've been able to kind of spread our message and, and help shape other firefighters, but we've also gotten to learn a lot from the students. So it's been a, it's been a two way street and it's been awesome. Sweet. So we'll get into some funny stories in a moment. I kind of want to focus on valor for a second because I see valor does a lot of different goes to a lot of conferences and I know you're going to be doing a lot of different classes and hosting a lot of different things throughout the country. The one that really caught my eye and I'm actually have your website open at the same time that I'm looking at this and it grew, drew my attention right away. And Tom's going to probably say the same exact thing is fire for effect, the lost art of realistic training. I really want to talk about this because I really feel that this is a lost art. I feel people yeah. are hiding behind a lot of shells and not really getting real with their training. So how did you really come up with this topic in this class to bring out? Yeah. So, so the class actually came from a lot of frustration, right? Um, You know, when I was growing up in the fire service, when I first got in, uh, we burned 
real stuff in real buildings. I mean, we went to a lot of acquired structures, um, but we had the concrete burn building where we would go down hallways that were chugging smoke and had, you know, streamers coming down the hallway over our heads. And so not to say that it was right that we were burning couches and chairs and stuff like that, but we learned how to fight fires in real fire. I mean, that's how we learned. And so there were times as a student at a community college that I had, you know, blisters on my ears because I didn't open the line when I should have. Um, there was times where I melted stuff because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And so there were real ramifications for your actions or inactions. And so as I progressed through my career, what I saw was this culture of safety, which the safety sallies flip out when I say that. Right. But you got to understand like there, there needs to be a culture of safety. NFPA 1403 is there for a reason because people died doing stupid shit. So we have to have those things in place, but what it gave the, the safety nerds uh, the ability to do is hide behind all these standards and all these policies and all these um, things and, and what it did was take away from the realism. And so like one of the things, just to give an example is 1403 says that you can't have combustible material. That's not involved in the fire in the fire room, right? That makes sense. Don't stack 15 pallets in the back of the burn room and then light a fire on the other end of the room. That's stupid. Um, and so like my question was, well, why can't I put a, a metal, um, like patio furniture in the burn room? right? Set up a kitchen table in the burn room. Why can't I do that? Well, that's you NFPA. You can't have stuff in there and blah, blah, blah. Right. There's nothing in NFPA that says that I can't do that because it's non-combustible. Right. So we built our training center and we started putting in metal furniture. We'll then come to find out that there's fire training tower manufacturers who build prefabricated chairs, couches, TV entertainment centers, all sorts of stuff. Right. So for years, I was told, well, we can't do this because of NFPA. Well, that's actually not true. And so when I actually dove into NFPA 1403 and even further into some of the other standards, um, it helped me kind of challenge those thought processes. And so what this class actually is, is how to embrace the NFPA standards, how to embrace the cultural standards of safety that we've put on ourselves, um, but how to keep that training as realistic as, as possible. Um so I know that that's like a long winded answer, um, but that's really what the class is about. And so when our, when our students leave that class, they're actually armed with a bunch of information that's tangible that they can take back how to, t how to do those things in their own organization. Now, I'm going to ask you, cause I, I've always felt and Tom jump in anytime with this, if you even feel the same way, I feel that sometimes we don't do enough of this real life training in any capacity. Like in, where our, in Jersey, we can't do acquired structures the way other states can. And sure. I'm a level two instructor and we have to have all this craziness. There's a lot of red tape around it. So just for us to do it, it's, it's too, much, too much paperwork in, an, in a nutshell. I've done a couple, but it was, it was no fire. And it was just... Practicing host techniques, ventilation cuts, and all that kind of stuff, but not actually lighting it on fire. If you want to light on fire, it's a whole other program. But I do feel that forcing a door, cutting a roof, and doing these real-life tactics on a prop, sometimes, most of the time, 
doesn't feel the same. Like we have door props, which are great for the technique. But to me, it's still, you're not getting that realism to it. And I feel there needs to be realism. When you go through recruit school, when you go through all your advanced courses, there has to be some type of realism to your training. How, how do you combat when you see stuff like that, when you see guys just not bringing out any realistic training in their, in their departments? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of it goes back to, uh, you know, what is the, the motivation for not doing that, right? There, there's cultural things that I can't fix. I mean, I'm sorry, but there's departments that are like, listen, we're going to do target solutions and that's what we're going to do. And that's all you're going to do because they don't want to get hurt. Uh, they don't want to, the risk management says that we can't go out and fly the aerial and go put it up on the top of that apartment building and go repel off the roof. Like, that's cool. I'm fine with that. Um, I don't agree with it, but if that's your city or if that's your department, then that is kind of what you have to deal with. Um, but to your point, you know, like our academy here in the Kansas city Metro, there's two different community colleges that teach. Both of them have connections with Kansas city, Missouri or Kansas city, Kansas. So those students, when they're doing ventilation, they actually go to Kansas city, Missouri, uh, and they'll get up on a, there's like a whole block of houses that they get up on the roof. They're all slated for demolition. So they go up there and they cut roofs on these horribly decrepit houses. You know what I mean? Like you get up on the roof and you're like, man, I don't think we should all be up here. Um, (laughs) But it gives them a good reference of, okay, this is a real roof. There's real ramification. If I fall off this thing, it's going to hurt. Right. Um, And then when they go pop doors, they're just walking down the block, popping doors on houses. Um, And so there's, you know, there's that side of it. Um, And then even looking at the props and the stuff that you're using, you know, like I'm a fan of the blue door. It's awesome. It is stout. It does everything that I could ever want it to do. Right. But it doesn't twist and move like a real door. So if I'm looking for that, I might look at something like the woods door where it's made primarily out of wood with the metal fabricated sleeves. So I can actually get that twist. So like if I'm doing commercial door work, blue door all day long, right? If I want to replicate more of the lightweight commercial or residential, I'm going to put my guys on woods door every day. So it's, it's more about kind of how you have the opportunity to do those things. Um, and I don't feel like people capitalize on what they have in their area. They're always like, Oh, I saw this over at this conference and I saw this over here. Why don't you have that in your own area? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I heard that too. And another thing that I always see with training and, my department, like, we're guilty of it, too, because sometimes we just don't have anywhere else. But with stretching a hose line, like, you know, stretching in a parking lot is way different than stretching in in a crowded structure. Um, but, you know, it's not bad. We've, we've stretched in a parking lot. We'll make, like, our own little opto course type per se. Because, right. much like Nick, we, we can't really work with the acquired structures. Like um, first off, there's not very many to begin with. A lot of buildings that are being, you know, old here are being resold and flipped, and so no one's really knocking anything down. So we don't really get that. Um, a lot of our commercial buildings have offered to say, "Hey, you can come in here and train with us," but at the same time, like they limit us. For example, the hotel, they're like, "Yeah, come in and train with us. It'll be great. You can do what you need to do." And then when we went to talk about it, they're like, "Well, you can use the top two." Two rooms, and we'll we'll 
pull it off for you. I'm like, that's fine, Danny, except for the fact that that gives us like 20 feet to work with. Like, not. Yeah. It, it's realistic, but it's not realistic. Like, they didn't want us stretching the hose line from the floor to the top floor. They literally just wanted us in that top floor. Like, that's not how we're going to operate. We're not going to learn anything from it. So, yeah. Well, and, and I've noticed a lot that, like, on the East Coast, primarily, it's it's very prop-heavy. Uh, and what I mean by that yeah. is, like, you guys have your training facility, but then you have, like, a roof prop right next to it that's, like, you know, 10 feet off the ground, but it's a, a slanted roof prop. Yep. Or you have your forcible entry door prop. So, like, you guys in your area, you're going to be super prop-heavy, um, but you can have multiple different types of props for different things, like a flat roof or a pitched roof. Um, and that's where I see a lot of people, they're like, oh man, you know, like when I was going through fire Academy, we didn't do anything with ventilation because we didn't have any buildings, bro. I can drive down to home Depot and buy all the stuff for a couple hundred bucks to build a roof prop. Like that's not hard. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's where a lot of this class revolves around is like, how do we take what you don't have and make it economical? Cause nothing that we do in the class is, you know, contracts for commercial, burn buildings it's all stuff that i could run down to home depot or lowe's and buy the stuff to build correct yeah our we had an old burn building at our training center and they eventually built a new one they went new one came all these you know state laws because someone gets killed from it and it ruins everything for everyone because they did something stupid what the instructors did in the old burn building because we can't burn it that anymore is they literally made it like an apartment so they put up walls they got old couches. They built like makeshift counters. There's a sink in there. There's a bathroom. There's a toilet. So they made it as real as possible. So yeah, you can't, you won't have the heat of a fire, but they let you smoke it up for a smoke machine or whatnot. So at least it gives you that element that is somewhat realistic. Um, so that, that's been really good that we can use. But for the most part, like you said, it's really just the same props over and over again. And yeah, they're cool, but we have a roof plop or a firehouse. It's the same cut every time, and you know what you're doing with it. Yeah. Well, and, and to that point, I just want to say this real quick. So a good friend of mine, Todd Shepard, who does uh, Forge and Fire uh, Towers, you know, he, his whole thing when he started doing this, and they're Connex boxes, but it's a stout tower, man. I mean, it's really built up, and I've seen his product. We've worked in it. Um, you know, his whole thing is flexibility in the way that you set it up, and being able to change it down the road. And so even though this whole thing is put together five years from now, if you're like, Oh, I want to turn this into an L and I want to put two more stories on top. Um, you know, that's the way that he designed it was to have the flexibility, not just in room by room, but the whole tower itself. And so it's really, really cool to see companies that are embracing that kind of stuff. Uh, cause I mean, shit, man, the building that I had when I first started, it was a brick building and I went back there I don't know, five, six years ago. So we're talking 15 years later, I went back and the same doors are in the same place in the same room. It's the same layout. Like I could close my eyes and walk down the hallway because I still remembered what that hallway looked like. Um, and so after you do that a couple of times, it loses its realism. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That that's like for us too. our, we have a, a three story tower with a, with a maze off to the side, not it's connected, but there's no way to you can't go through both at the same time. So it's built off to the side. That's more realistic, the maze, because we have interchangeable walls. It's only about waist high, chest high, maybe. And we can go in there and we could change it up on people. We have drop ceiling, different things to make it very realistic, furniture. But when you go to the tower, 
it's the same setup floor by floor. And the one thing I always hear, I don't want to do the burn to burn in there because it's the same thing over and over. I know the yep. layout. If I get lost, I know where the window is. I want to go to our county. When our county has more options, we have a taxpayer, they have a, a bunch of other buildings, a, a five or six story tower and a bunch. So we can go to different county academies and train all we want, more stuff, but we don't have it. So we have to be as realistic as possible when we do things. So we're doing things. Guys want to practice basement fires. Well, how do we practice a basement fire in a three-story tower? Well, we came up with a way where we make the second floor the first floor. And we take everything out of play and we start kind of mixing and matching. And yeah. making them think a little bit. And then they're like, oh, wait. It is difficult when you have to go in a different way. It's, like, it's a lot difficult. It's also a pain in the ass for us that we have to do this. But we have to make things realistic. <laughs> and think about it in a sense where might be something we're showing up to yeah well and, and i mean even something as simple as and you know look at the black sunday fire right that top level where the guys ended up jumping out the windows that yeah. was it was subdivided i mean they, they it was it was not supposed to be the amount of apartments that it was um and so when like we went to our training tower and everybody was used to it everybody knew where every door was and we literally built f- false walls and broke up these rooms into like three different apartments and we smoked it up. I mean, there wasn't even live fire, but we smoked this thing up and guys went in there and they're searching and you would hear them stop at the door. And they're like, interior to command. Uh, I'm at the shit. Hey Joe, where are we? And they're like, well, we're in the room. And they're like, yeah, but this isn't right. Like there's never been a door here. And it freaking flipped them sideways. They had no idea where they were. And from that point forward, they had to actually work at being oriented and knowing what they were doing. All we did was built four walls and put four doors in. And that just threw them for a loop. So there's a lot of really cool things that you can do to keep it fresh. And and that's the thing is keeping it realistic, but also keeping it fresh so that they're not feeling like they're doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have that muscle memory, but it's also terrible when you memorize a building to the point where you can go through it in the back of your mind. And in your sleep, and the minute something changes, all of a sudden everything goes out the window. You fall back to this level of I don't know what I'm doing. Where am I? It's kind of, and that's why, like, when I saw this, keeping it fresh, keeping it realistic. I mean, I, I'm always trying to find ways in my department. I know, I know Tom is too, to find ways to keep things fresh and to keep it more realistic yeah. out there. I mean, I was um. We actually built a prop. I didn't build the prop. Somebody built this prop, and it's actually how to cut rebar from different angles. So you're basically over your head. You're cutting it from your side. You're cutting it. And a lot of firefighters are taking, oh, I can cut rebar in a heartbeat. I can, I can move yeah. it in a heartbeat. Until you have to put an air pack on and put it over your head and realize this is not as easy as it really looks. And they start saying, well, what is this? It looks like a Christmas tree, if you think about it. Just a big metal rod with all these pieces coming off of it with rebar going all different ways. And they think it's easy. I thought it was easy the first time I did it. I'm like, this is simple. I can lift that. I can lift that saw. As soon as I started doing it, my shoulders were shot. But when you, when they tell you, well, you might have to make a cut, cut, a, cut the uh, security bars off a window and you might not have a ladder to do it. And you might have to put that saw up there. A ladder might be high enough or just some random reason you realize real quickly why you have to make things realistic and not make everything so simple and so textbook 
all the time. Yeah. Well, that's, do you guys, you guys are old enough. You probably remember this. You remember that little exercise ball thing that you would wrap the cord around. It had the yellow thing in the center and you'd pull it real hard and it, you had to keep your wrist straight. It was like a centrifugal thing. Do you guys I've remember that? I've seen it. Maybe I'm dating myself. I've seen it. Uh, I'm totally dating myself. I, I've on seen this. it. So, <laughs> so that was like, I always laugh because when you talk about the K 12 or cutting, you know, rebar and stuff, I use that as an example when guys and gals are like, Hey man, you know, that K 12, it's really not that heavy. I'm like, do you realize the centrifugal force that's being implied? You know, when you wind that thing all the way up and you put it over your head, that saw is fighting every inch of you trying to hold it where it is. And, and they don't get it. And so I made that reference in a class one time and, and people used to get it. And now they're like, what the hell are you talking about? So, yeah, but I mean, the same thing still applies, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not the same. It is not the same. You know, I want to ask you this question. Like Tom went to it before he talked about stretching lines in the parking lot. And I, I still do that to this day. And I have a method for it. A lot of my method is to practice just being comfortable holding a hose on, just practicing pulling it off with cross leg and just practicing getting comfortable with the PSI, getting comfortable with communication and just the bare minimum. I, I always look at it as well, I played sports, so I have to go to the basics of when I played baseball, I had to get on the foul line and I had to play catch with my partner every day. I had to catch a ball, but I had to warm myself up. And I always said that was a warm up to what's coming next. So I was running an engine company operation course and I had them do that. And they said, this is supposed to be an advanced course. Why am I doing this? Because in about five minutes, we're going to take a break and you're going to see why we're doing this. Then I started having them. I took it apart. And I said, now we have to start doing different stretches up stairwells. And we're going to start making advancements to second floor, to third floor. We're going to limit the manpower. We're going to start doing different things. Because if I start having you just lift 100-pound dumbbells without a warm-up, it's going to hurt. So I want to get you used to breaking. I almost use it as a warm-up. But I see a lot of people utilize that as their hand-line training. Just go into a parking lot and flow in water. And I, I get frustrated, but they say that's all they do. And like, right. how would you combat and give them ideas to, to fix that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a good question and this is not unique, right? I mean, this is something that the fire service is plagued with. Um, and so a, a lot of my answers, uh, and you'll find out really quickly as we're talking, like a lot of my answers are the why, right? Like I, I could sit there and tell you how I do something. Um, but unless you understand the reason why it doesn't matter. And so, you know, for that specific thing, that's part of crawl, right? Like you got crawl, walk, run. I love that for crawl. I will take people out to a parking lot and I'll let them flow water and get used to things. And there's, there's no, there's no detriment. There's no ramifications if they do something wrong. God forbid, if they let a line loose and it's flopping around on the ground, it's a parking lot, run the other way and let it flop around until the driver shuts it down. Like you're fine. Um, but when you look at just staying there at that level, right? This is what I always explain to them. People like the triple load. I don't care what kind of hose load you run on your truck. I will tell you right now, like I like the modified minute man. You like the triple load, whatever. It's all good. Why do you like the triple load? 
Well, it works for us. Okay, well, where have you pulled that? In a parking lot. Okay, go pull that on like a 20-foot offset in a row house. It doesn't work, right? Or it's if it's more difficult to use. I shouldn't say it doesn't work. You can get any hose off the truck and it looks like a rat's nest and you can still flow water through it until you fix it. But my thing is, if you're going to sit there and tell me that everything works great in a parking lot, you have to prove to me that it works in every type of building in your district. So that line better work in a garden style apartment. That load better work in a in a you know nursing home. It better work in a commercial building. It better work on a two-story single family. If you can do that and you can show me that you're proficient in stretching in all those different places with the different types of hose loads or the different type of stuff, hey, listen, you only got 30 minutes, go flow in a parking lot. I'm cool with that. But until you've done it in all those different places, that parking lot is just the crawl stage. You have to get to the point where you're comfortable stretching upstairs. You're comfortable going up uh, you know, even to the point of, and talk about realism, stretching a lineup, a garden style apartment with people coming down the stairs, right? That adds a whole right. different dimension in it because now wherever I put my hose, it's either in the way or people are tripping over it or people are trying to push me off to the edge of the stairs. So once you're good at all that, sure, you only got 30 minutes, go flow in the parking lot, knock yourself out. But just remember that that's the very basic level. We got to keep working our way back up. I like that point, having people go coming down while you're coming up, because that's something people don't train on. I'm guilty. I never thought of something like that before. Have people, have right. firemen walk down as you're stretching lines up, make it more realistic. Yeah, you got all the room in the world when you don't have people yes. coming down the stairs. But in a real fire, you're going to have people coming down the stairs, and they don't care what you're doing. Yep. I mean, they want you to be there. They're happy that you're there, but they don't care. No, they're just like, let me get out of here. I don't care what you're doing. I'm going to trample over you because I'm getting right. out any way I can. So it's a really good point. And I, I think a lot of times, like, I believe people hide behind safety a little too much. And uh, my, my chief always said to me, we were having this conversation one day in his office, and he said, you can't work in fear. You can't live in fear. Too many firefighters today hide behind fear that they don't want to do things because they're scared to do it, and they're scared to get, get in trouble because they didn't follow the rules to the T. In the real world, the rules go out the window when people's lives are on the line. You have to kind of think outside that box a little bit. like you said, safety, safety this, safety that when training, which is fine because obviously we don't want anyone to get hurt training, but we don't want anyone to get hurt in the real world either. And at the end of the day, the job isn't safe. So yeah, you can say safety this, safety that, but it's, it is what it is. It's not, you can't, you, there's some people try to make things too safe and it just waters it down, I guess is a good way of putting it. And yeah, then when the time comes and shit hits the fan in an actual real life incident, the guys aren't prepared for it. Well, so, so let me ask you guys this, right? And I'm not trying to hijack your podcast. This is your podcast. But <laughs> when we sit there hey, and talk about, let's do it. I mean, listen, so when we talk about safety, right? Like, would you guys both agree that flying an airplane is somewhat dangerous? I would never fly an airplane, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Like there's, if you, if you screw up, if you don't know what you're doing, you're dead. Right. 
So I don't look at firefighting any differently. And if you look at our industry, if you look at firefighting and how we train people, right, in order for, and and my father and my grandfather were both uh, private pilots. That's why I know all this stupid stuff. But when we go, I shouldn't say it's stupid. It's not. I know all this useful information that's just floating around in my brain. But when you're a pilot and you're learning how to fly, they make you do a fuel emergency fuel off, right? Like you have to figure out why the plane's motor just shut off and you have to restart the engine and there's all these things that you have to do. You have to do a stall. So you go up and you fly until you lose uh, speed and then the plane stalls and you have to recover. And that's in real life, right? So if you got on an airplane to fly to Hawaii and and the pilot got on and said, uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot. Uh, I just want to let you know that this is my first flight in a real airplane. I've only flown 3,000 hours in a simulator, but it's almost the real thing. How long would you stay on that plane? Correct. I'd be right on. I'm gone. I'm gone. I'd be like, nah, man, I'm good. I'm going to take the next one. Right. Like, (laughs) but we expect people to, but we expect people to show up at three o'clock in the morning and they don't ask you how many hours of live fire training you've had. They they don't ask you how many hours you've spent searching a real hallway with real fire to find a real victim. And, and obviously we can't because of NFPA and there's a reason why, but they don't ask questions. Their expectation is, is that you know what you're doing. And so I think we owe it to ourselves to be able to sit there and say, yeah, we can't put people in super perilous conditions, but we have to have a little bit of danger there um, with the understanding that we're going to show them how to do it correctly. And that's where the safety factor should be is safety lines, check people in, in safety positions, um, you know, and stuff like that. So anyway, I, I use that example all the time about the airplane and people just kind of sit there and they're like, yeah, I wouldn't stay on that airplane. I'm like, then why are you letting your firefighters yeah, why are you letting them go into a burning building when they've only had three hours in a gas simulator? And I'm not going to lie. I was just, I get nervous on planes. So when you're talking about that whole thing, flying up and stalling out, I was in a state of panic at that very moment. I was having a little anxiety because I don't like to fly <laughs> and having to hear that. Well, I don't know, man. I don't know. But I'd much what rather have the pilot that knows what to do. Uh, me too. Absolutely. This is, this is where the funny stuff comes from. Flying doesn't really bother me, but people are always like, like I'll pop like a, you know, like I know drowning means like a motion sickness, but like I'll pop one and to fall asleep. And people are always like, you do that because you don't like flying, so you just sleep the whole time. I was like, no, I do that because I don't like people. I don't want anyone to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm flying alone, or I'm flying with with friends, or all over the place. Like I always get stuck with the first one person who wants to talk the whole flight. Go away. let me sleep. I don't want to talk to you. I don't care about what you had for breakfast at the hotel. Like, <laughs> I bought them. Well, I'm going to be honest. I've said liquor before I go. Oh, absolutely. I, I got to be honest, man. I've been on a couple flights in the last. Uh, I shouldn't. I I was with some people the last one. I'm mean, the last time I did. Ah, I don't care. I've been on planes in the last two years where I pretended like I didn't speak English just so I didn't have to talk to people. <laughs> See, it's not just me. That's exactly it. I love it. I I, I just get drunk enough where I don't remember the flight, or I'm <laughs> pretty much sleeping throughout so, the entire flight. So when I wake up, they're like, "We're preparing for our descent." <clears throat> All right, I'm good. And I'll just, I just love the descent. We did that for a bachelor party for one of the guys in the firehouse. So here we are, a bunch of you know, there was like thirteen, fourteen of us firemen, all from here in New York on this plane going to Nashville. So obviously right then and there, everyone really loves you because they already think you're the awesomest people in the world. 
So we're on our way back from Nashville, and guys in the back are talking to the stewardess, and I'm just getting ready to doze off, and they're all still drinking and stuff. Next thing I know is I hear people talking on the intercom, like screaming and yelling and stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, what is going on here? So I look up, and the lady sitting next to me is, like, tapping my my leg like I think something's wrong, you know. So I wake up, and I'm looking, and there's my friends, the drunk fireman, in the back of the stewardess, and they're all yelling over the intercom. Oh, no. I look back at the stewardess, and I was like, why would you give that to him? Hey. He's like, oh, we thought you guys were so awesome, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no. So now... With that, people are talking to us now. I'm like, this ruined my entire flight because now I have to be talking and not good. I sat next to the. I took the emergency seat one time, leaving the Dominican, and I was so scared that I, uh, I talked my ear off to the steward and the, 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 I guess the attendants on the plane. I'm asking them all kinds of questions. How's this plane going to get up in the air? How long is this flight going to take? Are we going to hit turbulence? How do you do this for a living? My wife's hitting me, shut up and stop asking questions. You're driving me nuts. Because before I get on a plane, my anxiety's through the moon. Like, I don't talk to people. I'm pacing the floor. I'm sweating. I'm like, maybe I'm not going to go on this trip today. It's fine. I don't need to do this. So I have so much anxiety when it comes to that. And I always get this same question. You're scared to get on a plane. But you're not scared to get on Fire engine. No, 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 I'm scared. Yeah, you it's use a different more control type of fire. It works more control of what I can control. Correct. But I can't control an airplane, and I don't know how to skydive. <clears throat> so, I, but Correct. I've been on a plane to to know I'll be all right. But it's just the anticipation of it. So we were talking before offline. We we're talking about different conferences and whatnot. Had some funny stories. Let's talk about some of those because I okay. actually was going to bring us. This, this is why I said that, um, we'll hold off to we record. Was I was I was speaking at Firehouse in 2018, and I'm in the speaker. Re- You've been to Firehouse, yeah. And uh, I'm in a speaker ready room with uh, when my wife was there and another speaker that I'm good friends with, and I'm getting my stuff ready and I'm just doing my own thing. I go, I set up in the, in the room they, they give me, and I see all these people coming in. And a friend of mine, he's sitting in the back of the room. And he's like, I'm just going to stay in the back because I don't want to make you nervous. No problem. And he's sitting there, and he's doing, giving finger signs to me, all these different, he's counting how many people are showing up. So I'm stuttering over my words, trying to talk to him, listen to him at the same time I'm giving this presentation. And I made reference to something in the room. Um, about a topic on reading smoke. And he starts shaking his head. And I'm trying, like, all right, I said something wrong. So after it was all said and done, I go back to the ready room. And he said, do you see that, that older gentleman who was with his wife in the room with you when you were preparing? I said, yeah, that, that nice man. He's all nice and dressed, that suit on. Looked like he's about to go have a nice meal. Did you not notice he was sitting next to me the entire time you were speaking? Nope. I was so zoned out and whatever I was talking about, I had no idea, right? So he said, uh, you actually had uh, Deputy Chief Phil Jose 
sitting next to me the entire time in class. So I'm walking. I had no idea he was in the room. <laughs> walking around the conference hall. He comes up to me and he goes, Nick, I just tweeted you on social media. Great job. Nothing came out of my mouth. I looked like Ralph Cramden yeah. at that moment. I'm like, uh, 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 thank you. I, I, I truly appreciate that. I felt like I was <laughs> like a kid. I'm like, man. It's, and he's like, oh, it, it really was. It really was. Like, it happens. Like, you know, we, <clears throat> you know, and Mike, Mike, we all, we all know Mike Champa, right? So he lives in the town next to us, originally down from Jersey. But so he's friends with our, with our firehouse. We went down to Long Island Joey D conference two years ago. He was in our hotel and he came and he kind <clears> of <throat> had some uh, drinks with us and whatnot in the hotel lobby. We're just hanging out all night. And some of the younger kids that were in my firehouse that didn't really know him personally, you could they're just sitting there staring at him because like they're used to watching him on YouTube and reading his articles and stuff. And they're just like, and like I'm hitting this kid. I'm like, bro, stop staring. <laughs> yeah. Like, be like, dude, like, you're being awkward. Stop. Right. Right. right he's like uh so mike looks at me like, what's your name kid and he's like uh yeah pizza and i'm like oh my god <laughs> pizza. but it's it's funny how in the fire service like we get starstruck moments for certain instructors like that and then in the real world where they're getting starstruck over athletes and and movie stars and stuff like that i've always thought that's kind of like a <clears throat> An interesting concept in our world. Yeah. So, so a, a couple of things. So it's funny when you talked about Phil being in your, uh, in your reading smoke class, right? So when I gave the fire for effect class, uh, I actually had Dave Casey from NFPA in my class. And I, I mean, I saw him and I'm like, man, that guy looks really familiar. I'm pretty sure I know who he is. And as soon as I mentioned NFPA 1403, his face just went blank. And I was like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> and so as I'm talking about it, you know, he's, he's kind of like, you know, he's warming up to it. Cause listen, man, I don't bash NFPA, right? Like there's a reason why those are in place. And so what I talked about was Absolutely. here's how we need to use those to our benefit and not to our detriment. And so when I got done, he came up and he shook my hand and he goes, man, that was great. I really enjoyed everything about this class. It was such an awesome thing. And by the way, thank you for not just bashing on NFPA. Cause that's what a lot of people do. <laughs> and I said, I know I know you from somewhere and he hands me his card and it's like Dave Casey, head of chair, you know, NFPA 1403 committee. I'm like, Oh my God. You know? So I, not that I would have said anything different because I would have said the same stuff, but him and I became friends after that. And so it, it lent itself to um, being able to have a peer who maybe doesn't always see the same things that I do or doesn't see things the way that I do. Um, but it's great. But at the same time, you know, like at one of those funny stories I love telling. So I ended up at the Elkhart Brass Dinner with uh, Mark Von Appen, Brian Brush, uh, Cody Trestrail, Gary Lane, uh, Grant Schwab. I mean, all these guys are sitting at the table that I'm sitting at, right? And so I'm just sitting there eating my food and I'm not really saying anything. And I've known. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I've known Brian for a long time. And so. 
like he's the one that kind of got me hooked up. And so we, we, I go in there and this is the first year I'm at FDIC. It's the first year, year I'm presenting at FDIC and it's my first time at the Elkar Brass Dinner. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just listening to them. And I am so amazed that I'm sitting here. And finally, Gary Lane looks over at me. He goes, Hey man, what the hell's wrong with you? I go, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. He goes, you've been sitting there for like 30 minutes and you haven't said a word. Like, do you talk ever? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, do you want to talk now? And I'm like, can I talk? I mean, I'm just listening to what you guys are saying. And like, they all started chuckling, but that was his whole thing was he was like, man, we still put our pants on the same way you do. We're all instructors just like you are. And I said, yeah, but I'm trying to figure out how I ended up at a table with all you guys. And they're like, man, we're trying to figure out how we ended up at a table with you. Like it's all the same stuff. And so in my, in my career as a, as a presenter, I mean, I have had so many times where I was just completely starstruck. And once I got to talk to those instructors, realized that they have, they feel the same exact way. And uh, there, there are some that don't. I mean, there are some who put themselves on a pedestal, right? And, and they don't really get starstruck by anybody because that's just not their personality. Um, but there are a lot of us who, who do. And we just sit there. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just had dinner with so-and-so. Or I can't believe. You know, I call my wife all the time. And I'm like, oh, my God, you won't believe this. I just did a podcast with Tom and Nick, you know? And so it's, it's cool. Like, it's really cool to be able to do that stuff. Um, and I feel like the day that I'm not starstruck by people is probably the day that I need to get out of the fire service. I, um, I took a court. I was taking this uh, seminar. It was the, the Charleston nine with Dr. Dave Griffin. First time I ever took it. Finally got the sit-throughs. I heard everybody talk about it. I've been following him for many years prior to it. So when I went to the, the academy to sit at it, he was actually in, in the one academy in, in one of the counties here. It was sat- I remember Saturday morning. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to sit in the front row because I really want to hear this, this message. And people were telling me, you got to listen to the message. So I was like, I'm going to sit in the front row. And I had a notepad. And I'm the only one in the front of this auditorium. Everybody else was like five rows back, uh, sitting all next to each other, way out of there, way away from the speaker. And I'm just sitting in the front by myself. And he noticed that. So we go on. He takes a break. I'm just sitting there. And he said, come here. I get up, I go over there. He goes, you're the only one sitting here in the front row. Because I really want to be here. I've, you know, I, I, I've been reading about you. I've read about everything. Um, I just really want to hear it and learn about your message. He goes, how old are you? I come out with a number that I'm not even, not even how old I was. I'm like, I'm 27. And I'm like, wait, I'm not 27. Just tell him I'm 27. I'm like, I just said, oh, wait, no, I'm so sorry. I'm not 27. I don't even know how that came out of my mouth. <laughs> so he's looking at me. And next thing you know, we're talking, we're talking about baseball because he played ball. I played ball. And we're building this connection of like, well, we have a lot of different things in common. Quickly went from this firefighter, a captain at the time, who was involved in this tragic incident. And everybody's asking him questions on breaks about that day to... Me and him having conversations about mixed martial arts, playing baseball, and about our families. So when we see each other to this day, he'll say, how's, how's Amanda? How's Ian? That's my son. And I'll say, how's Melissa? So it's like, to this day, we still remember each other's families. And it's like, people are looking at this person like, a, like an attraction. Right. But 
when you get to know the person here, like everybody has a message. You have a message. I was nervous as hell before. When you messaged me on, uh, on Facebook, I'm like, wait, he requested me on Facebook to be my friend. And now he's messaging me. How do I answer this? I'm like, wait, he's just another person who puts his pants on the same way I do. Let me do and, and the more we start having these conversations with each other, we start realizing everybody's here to help each other. Everybody's here to have that camaraderie and that fellowship. And I personally think, and people could argue it and tell me they have other people, but I personally think one person who does fellowship really well is, is Chief Andy Starnes. He has yeah. that whole brotherhood, that brothership about him. And uh, the conversations I have with him, you feel part of, like, he, you matter to him. And, and that's yeah. what really makes the fire service so great. No, I could. Oh, good. Doing some more hood rat shit just in a different time. Yeah. That's really what it is. You know? Well, and that's when you when you said that deal about Andy, you know, I met Chief Starnes at a conference for Matt Adkins that he was putting on for uh, after uh uh Clark got killed uh on, on I was it I ninety five? Yes. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. And, yeah, and so uh, you know, when we had that whole conference, you know, he brought in I met um Andy. And I mean, we're sitting there talking and it was hilarious because like, I didn't know him. He didn't really know me. We got to kind of talking. And the next thing you know, like a, a couple weeks later, I get this text message and he was just like, Hey man, just wanted to check up on you. Make sure you got back to Kansas. Okay. It was great talking with you. Hopefully, you know, you get to, uh, you know, have fun with your family, whatever. And I'm like, who is this? Why is this? Who is this person? And so I like searched the number. It didn't come up. So I texted a friend of mine. I'm like, hey, whose number is this? he's like, oh, that's Andy Starnes. I'm like, I didn't give him my phone number. How does he have my number? Well, come to find out, it was like through a mutual friend. And he called up and was like, hey, I never got Mellon's number. Do you have it? Uh, and so he got it. And to this day, kind of like your deal, every time I see Andy, it's like, hey, Dave, how's the family? How's this? How's that? I mean, he's just, I call him the nicest used car salesman ever. Like he, he will sit there. And he will make you feel like you are the most important person in that five minute, 20 minute, hour long conversation, yep. whatever it is. Um, but yeah, he's good people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Tom could speak for it too. The people we've had on here and the people I had on my own podcast, Five Tool Firefighter, which is based on my book, Five Tool Firefighter, you really see how genuine the fire service really is. You know, I've, I was scared in the beginning to do all this stuff and get out there and, and ask people to be on it. And I started realizing as I'm getting with people, Jim Moss helped. Jim Moss was a big, actually, the one who motivated me to do all this. We were talking. He texted me. and was like, podcast. Oh, I don't know how to do it. Cool. Now, I, I'm doing it, having different people on. And I've actually had different people like uh, Chief Arjuna Smith, Arjuna George, Arjuna Smith. Chief Arjuna George out of um, Canada. He just messaged me today and said, can you give me some pointers on how to do, how to do a podcast? I want to start doing one. Um, Josh Chase out of uh, Norfolk. 
same thing. We were, he was on my podcast. He comes on, messaged me and says, I'm doing a podcast. Three days later, everything was done. He had a podcast and he's running with it. But there's so much impact with the fire service and how everybody just motivates each other. And if you're doing a podcast and I'm doing a podcast, there's no hatred. It's all like, let's do it together. Let's mesh something, you know, because we're all giving different messages and all trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I first saw you on uh, on Taylor's podcast. I was like, man, how did she get how did she get him on the podcast? Like, how does how do you do this? How do you get these people on there that have these they they definitely have an impact in today's fire service? How do you do it? And it was she's like, oh, just message him. That's it. <laughs> it's not going to be like who's this idiot from New Jersey calling? Like, hey, who's this this guy? I don't know this guy. I'm not. I'm not talking to him. I have time for that. And here we are talking, having a conversation. But you know, well, and, that's, and I got to be honest. This, this is why we built stations off. Oh, absolutely. And 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 I got to be honest, man. So like, and I'll get to the Taylor thing here in a second. I don't. Did she tell you how we met? Like, did she, did she tell you how we know each other? No. All right, it's the greatest story. So I'll tell you here in a second. But the the thing about the podcast and the thing about being out there, uh, you know, in the fire service, man, there's enough stuff going on, whether it's, you know, I mean, when COVID was going on, we all thought we were going to die. And then we realized that we weren't going to die, but we were getting shafted on pay because all the cops are getting, you know, hazard pay and all the nurses are getting overtime and we're not getting anything. And so when it all comes back around, it's like, there's enough bad stuff going on in our career outside of ourselves that we should be championing each, championing each other. And so, yeah, like if you have a podcast, I love being on your podcast already just from the, you know, half hour that we've been on, but for us, we should be helping each other. And so, uh, I've never turned down a podcast. Uh, now there's certain reasons why I would, right? Like if somebody called me and they wanted me to be on a podcast that just sits there and like openly bashes people, I'd be like, nah, that's not really my thing. But I've never had somebody ask me to be on a podcast where I've said no. Um, and, and I feel like those connections are, are super awesome to have. So the Taylor thing, she came to one of our classes at Les Lukert up in Nebraska, and she was very new into the fire service. She was very unsure of herself. And so she came to me at the very beginning and she's like, Hey, I know we're going to be doing some live fire stuff. And I just want to let you know that I'm kind of, you know, leery of it and it's it's new to me so i don't want you to think that i don't know what i'm doing i said taylor it's totally fine if you don't know what you're doing i said there's times where i don't know what i'm doing she was like what i'm like well not when i'm teaching but there's when i'm on my you know on the job there's times that i don't know what the hell i'm doing i'm just going with the best option i got and so we started talking and so we we did the whole crawl walk run thing with her and at one point you would go into this Connex box and it was like a 16 foot hallway that teed off and it went to the right into a flashover container. 
Well, we had fire coming all the way through the flashover container down that little eight foot hallway and like halfway down this 16 foot hallway. And so she crawls in and she's holding the hose line. And I said, Taylor, you got to hit the fire. And she's like, okay, all right, I'm going to hit the fire. And she's like pumping herself up. And I'm like, okay, you really need to hit the fire. It's getting really hot. And she's like, okay, all right, I'm going to hit the fire. And I like, I couldn't get her to snap into aggressive mode. And so I leaned down right next to her head and I go, are you a dragon slayer? She goes, yes. I go, then go slay that fucking dragon. And she's like, okay. So she goes down this hallway screaming at the top of her lungs and just starts whipping that hose line. And all of a sudden the fire just goes out. And so we come out and I mean, she's got all these emotions. I mean, she's tearing up and she's super, uh, you know, emotional. And she walks over to me and she's like, I've never been yelled at like that before. I was like, well, now hold on a second. If you're going to be like filing a complaint or something, like I was trying to help you. And she's like, no, you motivated <laughs> me. Like I can't even begin to explain this. And so that next day she showed back up and she told one of the other instructors, she's like, I didn't think I was going to show up for day two. Like I really was that scared about what we were doing and I didn't think I could do it. And uh, so that's where the whole, I call her my dragon slayer comes from. Um, is, is just getting in there. And so she is probably one of the coolest people I've ever talked to. Um, just coming from, you know, her husband was doing the volunteer thing. She wanted to support him. So she got onto the fire department with him. Uh, and, and they have now made it their thing with couplings fire podcast. And uh, now he's a career firefighter and she moved, uh, to Lincoln and now she's starting to volunteer again. So it's cool to watch them support each other and, and be in that. But I'm glad I, I'm glad I got to be a small part of it. Uh, and I'm glad that she was able to introduce us. Oh yeah. You know, she did reference that story with us, but she never went into the whole thing. She never talked about the dragon slayer. She never said who it was. She just kept saying she took this course. Well, yeah. Talking to her. Yep. I'm the guy that yelled at her and told her to to go slay the dragon. (laughs) Oh, man, that's a good one. Hey, that's what we're talking about. Motivating each other, getting each other to that next level. Yeah. It's all about how how we do it. We've been going for about an hour now. Talked a little bit about realistic fire training, NFPA 1403 a little bit, how that touched in, how played a part into it, safety. Shared some crazy stories about different things, flying planes, starstruck and stardom and everything else. I guess we can wind it down, bring it back. So Oh, I I always have hood rat thoughts. That's nothing new. Uh anybody that I work with, I just come up with the most random shit and they're like, dude, where do you even come up with this? I'm like, I don't know, it's just stored back there and every once in a while it pops up. Uh, no, you know, listen, I think it's kind of staying with the theme of what we're talking about, right? Like the, the realistic training, um, championing our, our own, um, I'll say this, right. And I, and actually you guys are the first ones that I'm telling about this on, on a podcast, uh, right before I went to North Carolina to teach at Carolina fire days, uh, I was on a house fire. I fell through some stairs into a basement, um, And it was the first time that I have gotten into a position where I didn't really have an option. Like I was at the mercy of whoever was going to come get me. And it's one of those things that without going into the whole entire story, right? Because that'll be on podcast number two or part two. 
But when I went through the stairs, the first thing that went through my head as the guys up on top were calling a mayday was, holy shit, somebody just fell through the stairs. That sounds really bad. And then they're like, hey, you know, firefighter melon through the floor. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm looking around. I'm like, where is everybody? I'm like, oh, shit, it's me. Right. So it took my mind a couple seconds to catch up with what had just happened. And uh, as they're sitting there trying to figure out what they're going to do and, you know, guys are calling for a ladder and they're like, hey, we need to get down in this hole and get them out. I'm trying to key up on my mic and I can't because they're on the radio. They're calling a mayday. They're doing all their stuff. And it got to the point where I was so frustrated. I pulled my mask back a little bit and I yelled at the top of my lungs, would everybody shut the F up? And it got really quiet. I said, guys, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm not hurt. I just need help getting out. Just get me a ladder and cancel the mayday. And my assistant chief who was up top goes, we're not canceling shit. You're getting a whole mayday and we're going to get you out. And I was like, okay. But the reason why I'm telling you this is because the way that we've trained our guys and the way that we trained our crews, um, I had Mackenzie was one of the firefighters that was with us and she's been through our training, uh, with our, in our department. Um, there are a lot of people who have done training with us and because we have kept it as realistic as possible, right? This wasn't the first time that we had a firefighter through the floor. This isn't the first time that we talked about putting a ladder down in a hole to get a firefighter out. Um, they were very conscientious of my air supply. They had a, a rip bag right there. We had a hose line right there. Uh, and so when I talk about it up to this point, when I've talked to other people about it, I never at any point was like, dude, this is really bad, right? Like this is really, really bad. Um, every step was orchestrated and every step was planned out because that's exactly how we had trained for it. And the only reason why it went the way that it went is because we put that realism back into it. I can't tell you how many times I've done RIT training where we never simulated a firefighter through a floor or a firefighter through a roof or all these things, right? Like how many times have you guys simulated that? Maybe a handful. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, but I mean, you know, now here recently we did, and that's why it went the way that it went. I am a firm believer that if we had never trained in what to do for a firefighter through a floor or a firefighter through the stairs, they would have been like, uh, Dave was here and now he's gone and they wouldn't have known what to do. But before the RIT team even got up to where we were, my crew that I was with, man, they already had a ladder down to me. The whole thing lasted like three minutes, but I never had to worry about what was happening because they were telling me every step of the way it was like A, B, C, D. So to my point, when I talk about realistic training and the importance of it, it's not like I'm just using, uh, you know, slang, like, like key buzzwords. Like this is shit that's really important to me because I've had to end up dealing with it. And, And that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing is that it's not a buzzword. You're living what you're preaching. You've lived it. You're preaching it. And you're able to come be able to share those experiences with others because I, I truly believe that, that if you don't train in something like that, you're going to freeze up. You're really going to freeze up at the end of the day and not realize a simple ladder, put down, put down the hole. I'm okay. Um, but these are reasons why I believe realistic training is very important. I push it 
be in charge of training where I'm at. I push it all the time. And I'm really glad to be able to have somebody on who actually goes around the country and talks about this and really makes it a part of their mission to teach realistic training to the fire service because it's a great topic. All the other stuff is great. Everything else is great. It's all good stuff. But to have realistic training and to really say this is, it does work. Proof dividends to what's, what we can really do out there as a fire service. 100%. And, and honestly, the only reason why we're doing that is because the engine company market was already saturated. So we just decided to go with yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to find Dave, want to look you up, want to reach out, want to do some classes, where can they find you? Yeah. So they can uh, hit us up on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, all that stuff, but we have our YouTube channel. Um, but the best way is to go to our website. So www.valorfiretraining.com and, uh, they can kind of look at the classes that we offer and then, uh, fill out a form. But either way, if you go, like, I know you guys hit me up on uh, Facebook messenger, I answer that. Uh, and then uh, the website goes to all the instructors so we can all, uh, you know, whoever gets to it first, but, uh, we're, we're always looking to go for the next class and we're always looking to train the next, uh, next group. We're going to put all, we're going to put all that stuff in the show notes, the links to all your social media, to the website. I want to thank you for having, having you on today, talking. I'd love to have you back at some point, come back in and talk some more. That's what we do here at Station Talk. We talk about topics, but we try to divert, maybe go off to something else, come back to it. Because when you're in the firehouse, you, that's what we do. We just go have conversations and we try to save the world all at the same time. But thank you again <laughs> for coming on. No, thanks for having Basically, me, Basically, thank great. you for what you're doing for the fire service. I appreciate it, man. Thank you and, guys as well. Anytime. Appreciate everything. So with that, Tom, do you have anything you want to say? So there'll be some more coming after the first of the year. So stay tuned and follow us, follow Dave and keep getting out there, keep training and becoming the best firefighter you could possibly be. So with that, until next time, work hard, stay safe, live inspired.